Welcome to She Critiques, where we discuss the new, the old, all things cinema. I'm Mercedes, television producer, certified reviewer, and all-around movie buff. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Today on the podcast, we are discussing two projects. The first is one of my favorite films, Waiting to Exhale. And then later on for my Chic of the Week, we will be discussing the latest season of the HBO series, Insecure. Today, I have a very special guest with me, Ms. Janice Sills-McSwain. Janice serves as the Senior Director of Content Planning and Strategy for E! Entertainment and Bravo TV. In this role, McSwain leads marketing strategy, promotion, and operations for programming across all platforms, including the network's unscripted series, news programming, and live programming initiatives. These include Watch What Happens Live, Live from the Red Carpet, and the E! People's Choice Awards, as well as E's tentpole coverage for New York Fashion Week and the Met Gala. A multifaceted executive, Ms. Janice Sills-McSwain, extensive experience is diverse, including entertainment marketing, program strategy, acquisitions, and production. Prior to E! and Bravo, Janice served as Vice President for Programming and Promotion Strategy at Revolt TV. We have a heavy hitter in the room today, ladies and gentlemen. Janice is not only all of these things and everything under the sun. She's one of my favorite people. And she's the chairwoman of an organization that I hold dear to my heart as a board member, the Black Women Film Network. Please welcome Ms. Janice Sills McSwain. Now, Janice. Let's dive right into this. I need to know what it is that you, that I, what do we love about the film Waiting to Exhale? You know, just the themes. They, they explored a lot in the film. I never read the book, but and now I really want to go back and read it because um, it came out when we were young. So to even see, you know, as I've transitioned in, you know, teens to 20s to now in my mid-30s, like, it's still so much to unpack. And I think that's why we love this film because you can always kind of go to it, go back to it. It's, it's classic, yet you still, you know all the lines, but then you go back and you realize like, I get that, it's complex, but like I understand and I empathize with these women and their journeys, you know? I hear you. I mean, it's super relatable. It's definitely relatable, whether it's the dating woes or just um, being with your girlfriends, having drinks, talking about these men. It's just, it, I think Terry McMillan does a great job of telling Black women's stories. Like she gets us so well. And for it to continue to be timeless and relevant um, speaks to her, to her capabilities as a writer as well. So, and the all-star cast, come on. Definitely. Houston, Angela Bassett, Leela Rashad, Loretta Devine. Like, I don't know if we thought when it came out how amazing it was, or like you said, we were young as well. But to think of the cast today is like, what? How did you pull off these four women in a movie today? I, I mean, the thing is, it's truly Black excellence when you think about it, like yes. these women. I mean, Whitney, you know, they call her the voice. I feel like Angela Bassett is just everyone's favorite. Loretta Devine, I think, is the most underrated actor she has been in dozens and dozens of films and it just always has a stellar performance and then Layla Rashawn was just someone who was every man's fantasy mm -hmm. you know but like really played to um you know the complexities of being a, a woman who knew what she wanted but had you know a lot of trifling men and experiences but that didn't like break her down you know what I mean so like 
just the stars that are cast, but even the men in the film. I mean, yes. you think Gregory about Dennis Haysbert, still fine. You know what I mean? Like Gregory Hines, like, I mean, a, a Renaissance man, everyone loved. Um, you know, I was even thinking about Wendell Pierce was in it. Like, mm-hmm. he might have been the sexiest, but like, even for someone like him to be back then in that movie to where he is now, it's just like whoever was in casting saw raw talent at that point or just saw talented people and put everyone in a film that just spoke to, I mean, like the black excellence, even Giancarlo Esposito's in it. Like he plays, you know, Gloria's gay husband. Like, yes, yes, yes. it's so many people. There's so many people. I don't know. You know, just, I guess I've awesome. never. Leon. Yes. Come on now. And the thing is, I don't think I, maybe I have Come to wait now. another 10 to 15 years to see what, if what I'm making today will be magical later. Cause I think there's no way they could have known that the chemistry would have been so amazing that they would like, there's no way you can predict the success of this film or any film like it. So I don't know. I hope that whatever I'm making today, like I look back like 20 years from now and I'm like, wow, I guess I didn't know that it was going to do what it's doing, but I'm proud of it anyway. I think, I think, do know because you put so much intention into the casting the storyline the producing the directing I mean it was Forrest Whitaker's you know vision I'm assuming and and hand in hand with Terry McMillan but like you choose people that are going to embody these characters who are going to bring life to the role and I think you know some people just have the it factor and you Mm -hmm. know it when you see it and that's why you put them in these films so I think whatever you're creating today you still have that same intention you know because you these want to do well projects are people's babies yeah you know what I mean and they they wanted to succeed so um but I think too like what I what I was thinking about is for that to be 25 years ago and these people are still acting I think yes. is just also a testament to um you know just these people who who, who pour their life into this work and you know in this film I'm, I'm a little bit indifferent sometimes about this film I think I think it's really awesome Mm -hmm. but I also feel like I wanted more out of it and again I haven't Mm -hmm. read the book like a part two but I just wonder if there was a part two what would we have seen where would these women be all the characters in the development right and and seeing their stories uh come more for full circle I guess is what I mean but yes um and I I really try to think about like whose performance really struck me and I could not put a finger on anybody specifically like when I thought about I'm like but Angela ooh, Angela was so good and then Leela was good too and Loretta is like they they were so different and you know from each other and the characters it's just you can't I did say I'm gonna give it to Whitney only because the transition from singing to acting is phenomenal for her like she's a phenomenal singer and then you put her in a film and she she shines as well so it's like uh, all the Whitney Houston, I guess I'm gonna have to give to her. <laughs> I gotta give it to Angela. I mean, I just feel like there are definitely memorable scenes in this film, but there's only one scene. Come on now. I'm okay, literally, the let's scene. go on segue. Let's go to segue to the most memorable scene in television in black girl history. Motherfucker is psychotic. I bet you this serial killer's less anal. Yeah, white woman, probably the only one who 
tolerate your smug ass. Yeah, I was your white woman for 11 years. Couldn't started that damn company without me. Hell, I worked my ass off. But the worst, all the fucking worst, making my kids go to a suit with only two other black children because you don't want them to be improperly influenced. Well, guess what, John? You're the motherfucking improper influence. Get your shit. Get your shit. And get out. I, I just still can't get over... One, I guess it's, it's, God, this scene, I mean, I'm just reliving it in my head. This scene is just, the moment when she just faces the closet, right? Yes, yes. And, you know, I remember that she's like looking each way, you know, they're darting, her eyes are darting at his items. Like, what is she going to do? You just don't know, right? right? And the fact that she then, she's talking out loud, she's basically just like, you know, get your shit, I'm putting it out. And when she lights that cigarette, <laughs> and then she just tosses that, and then the gasoline. I mean, it's just the most phenomenal scene. And when she walks away, mm -hmm. you just, just walk snapping. You There's just picture. shit at the screen. It's mm -hmm. like, wow. I mean, phenomenal. Angela, I don't know what type of rage switch she turned on. It's <laughs> her eyes, even in the scene, like you said, with the darting, like she's just in a zone. She's in a complete zone of like angry woman scorn. Anytime a black woman walks out her house with her rollers in her hair and her robe on. Okay. <laughs> about to go down. It is about to go all the way down. Another one of my favorite scenes, I'm going to say really quick, is when Loretta Devine, uh, Gloria, her name is in the, in the film, is talking to Marvin, Gregory Hines' character, mm -hmm. when she first meets him at the uh, the truck where he's moving in. Before she walks away and she says what she's making making for dinner, like, oh, just a little baked macaroni and cheese, cornbread, collard greens. <laughs> Peach cobbler. <laughs> I got hungry myself after that. That was actually the, one of the most hilarious lines in the yes. film. Oh my gosh. And Leela Rashad's character also throwing fruit at Troy. Don't you throw that up here. You raggedy bitch. You better be more careful who you pick up in grocery stores next time. Troy, take your drunk ass, leather wearing in the summertime, need a shave, stinky ass home. I'm not going. Have a free ball, tramp. Punk. Forget you. Forget you. Ah! All right, it's like that. It's like that then. Bye. <laughs> That was actually, I think, a really pivotal scene. One, because, I mean, he, you know, yeah, just the audacity of you to show up two hours late. The audacity, and show up high. Yeah. You're high. I mean, <laughs> and then you're gonna throw shit at me? Oh, no, sir, come on. But she, I mean, I can't remember the line exactly, but she says something like, take your, take your like, stinky leather vest wearing behind, you know elsewhere something like that but yes. I thought that was just so funny um, she had and she stood her ground you know yes she had reached her breaking point of dealing with no good men she had reached her breaking point we, we, we all get totally. there well we're not yes. dealing with it anymore and she gave him everything she had to say so what I do love as far as the themes of sisterhood and friendship um this film I feel like they show all those elements, but that these women hold each other accountable as friends. Like they're supportive, but they're also holding each other accountable. Like I'm thinking of the scene where 
Bernadine, Birdie's character, um, Angela Bassett, she was going to talk to that married man at the club or she was dancing with the married man. And her friends were like, girl, no, that's, what are you doing? And she's like, yeah. oh, no, it's nothing. But they were like, no, we know you're going through something, but that's, that's not what we do. So just totally the, the holding each other accountable. And I was thinking about the principles of friendship in general. That's definitely a huge principle. It's hard to, you, you don't want yes men or yes women on your team. So those uh, people who will pull your coattail when you're wrong. Um, totally. And I mean, I think there, there was that other moment too when um, Gloria and Bernie, I guess they're at a fair or something. And mm -hmm. Gloria's like, I know you slept with him. And you know, you know, you weren't right for that. And she's, Bernie's like, yeah, I know. I just needed to be held. And, you know, Gloria's just kind of shaking her head. But, like, yeah, I think they just have that kind of relationship where, like, honesty is the best policy. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to call you out as I see it when you aren't right. And, you know, that's just, again, like you said, like, it's a principle of friendship to be able to tell people how you feel. And then hopefully there's no bad blood. But I just want to be truthful with you and expose what you're doing. You know, it's not right. You're raised better than that. Or you know better. So do better, you know. Right. And I think that's definitely certain moments that were happening like across. One of the things I love about the film, too, is like you mentioned like they're so supportive, but they're never in conflict with each other. And I think that was the first time for me seeing in film that, you know, women, especially again, they had just such complicated relationships with men yeah. Yeah. that they didn't have complicated relationships with each other. And that was really beautiful to see that played out on screen that whenever they were presented with like a problem, they just wanted a listening ear and a shoulder to, to cry on or lean on and, you know, just champion themselves. Like they just seemed to really want the best for their friends um, and called it, called things as they saw them. So I really love that. Right. And also being non, non-judgmental of their decisions as well was a huge, yeah. thing, a huge theme with this group of friends. Um, and yeah, let's comb through some of these dating situations that we're talking about with each of these women. So with Savannah, Whitney Houston's character, okay, she's dealing with a married man, uh, but her mother insists that she continues to see this man, which is interesting. Uh, and he doesn't really come around too often. He's kind of in and out of her life. Uh, anything else I could add with Savannah? Savannah, she did have that one experience with the quick pumper, but um... yeah, oh right, the <laughs> quick pumper. Yeah, yeah. I forget what his act, what his name is. He's such a, a handsome man too. But um... he's in a few films too. Yeah, it's yeah. Soulful. He was in Soul Food too. Um, you know, I think you kind of hit it on the head. I mean, she's you know, again, career-driven woman. Mm -hmm. Um. I think, you know, she's trying to make some some choices in her life to set herself up for success and, you know, ultimately choosing happiness. But her mother plays a role. I actually find that the mother was just... Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I don't know what mom's deal was. I don't know if mom didn't have a man of her own. So it was just like, girl, just take what you could get. That's basically what it was. She kind of felt like... I remember the scene at the end because they're on the phone and she's just like, I just don't want you to be alone like I am. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, Whitney Houston's character was kind of like, I, Savannah was like, I have a full life. Like, you don't need to meddle in this. Like, I'm choosing me. I don't, like, I think for her mother, it's like, it's better to have a piece of a man than no man. And Savannah's like, I'd rather have no man. And you need to be okay with that. 
And her mother was just not okay with that. And I kind of get why, because if you've already been through it, you don't want your child or anyone you love to go through that either. Yeah. But, you know. You're right. Because that was too much. I mean. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, No, I was thinking, you're right. No, no. I was thinking of the, um, the part when she tells her mother, well, if he's so damn great, mama, won't you date him? You know, like, I'm, you want him so bad. You think he's so amazing. Then you, you deal with him. You know, they right. all get to a breaking point. These ladies, <laughs> all definitely. That's what. But a he was trifling. Yes, I mean he came back after like six or seven years. Like I'm, I've always been in love with you. I just, you know, I had. What did he? He said something like, you know, she, she, the other woman was five months pregnant when I met you, and I was just trying to be a good guy, but I'm like unhappy, and now. I feel like at the end of the movie, he told her, you know, I'm having another baby or something, right? I yeah. feel like he was having, Did he, having another he baby and then she remember, was just like, oh no. Oh, they were sitting at like a poolside table and he said he was going to leave his wife and child. And she was like playing along with it. Like, oh, okay, yeah, that's what you're going to do. Oh, that's great. That's great. And then she threw the drink on him. Like you are willing to leave your wife and child. Right. Like that, that, you know how much that says about you as a man? Like, why would you think that I want to be with a man who, girl, that's a whole other story now. Listen. Yeah, that's a lot. Bernadine. But you know what's interesting? Bernadine, yeah. Okay, let's talk about it. This is actually one, there's so much here. Oh my gosh, you start because there's so much. Bernadine, um, Birdie, they call her. Okay, she's going through a divorce after her husband admits to sleeping with a colleague a white woman colleague and he's leaving her so he tells her that mm-hmm. he's her while she's doing her hair to get ready to go somewhere after he told her that he's going to take the girlfriend instead like this was just birdie said and that was like one of the opening scenes you yes. know what i mean so it just hits right in the face with that one and i remember that this is actually a quotable she said something he said something like would it be better if she were black and she says It'll be better. If no, it would be better if you were black. And I was just like, whoo, the heat. The heat. Oh my goodness. Um, but you know what? That I didn't write here because Birdie also has those really powerful scenes with Wesley Snipes as the um he was an attorney, I believe, and they were sitting out. Remember, they were sitting at the bar and they came and sat mm-hmm. down and they just had this moment of just venting about their situations. And just being intimate with each other without taking it any step further, but just having that intimacy with each other. And that was really, really powerful too. First of all, Wesley Snipes is dope. I love Wesley Snipes. He's so, that's, uh, he's underrated for me. Wesley yeah. Snipes. Oh, okay. He yeah. can do everything. I, I love agree. him. I love him. Agree. Multi-hyphenate. Yes. Um, but yeah, so that's Birdie's biggest, and then she starts getting involved with these men who she's just trying to kill time or maybe she's hurt and just trying to avoid getting into anything serious. So yeah, she's going through a lot. <laughs> she's going through a lot. Um, and, you know, I really respect how her character kind of unfolds. And I think, you know, the transformation with her following suit with a man for 11 years, putting herself on the back burner. She mentions, you know, she, that company would have been wouldn't have been built without him. She had a master's degree in business. Like she helped him create, you know, this amazing company and lifestyle for their family. And he just kept telling her, 
like what to do and when to do it. And nothing was the right time for her to, you know, just peak. And so the fact that she, you know, wants to create a new identity, she cuts all of her hair off. You know, the same, when a woman changes her hair, everything in her life changes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think she started to really double down on being there for her children, getting back in touch with her girlfriends, her and Whitney, sorry, not Whitney, Savannah, Mm -hmm. seemed to have reconnected. I I felt like for me, and I think in a lot of the, um, like, you know, publicity and just synopses of the film always talks about Angela and Whitney Houston, like being the stars and like, they were the two bestest of the friends. Right. Um, But it seems like they reconnected and, you know, she just wanted to like live the life that she, had been missing you know and I think again seeking out the love that her husband never gave her right and it wasn't even really love I think it was just respect you know he really didn't respect her yes um no I hear you on all of that and you even saying that like I can see how a woman becoming the wife and the mother and like completely losing herself I completely lost herself lost vision of her goals and you know putting every sacrificing that's the word person to always Mm -hmm. sacrifice so, so much so that when things did crumble, she had absolutely nothing, you know, and then trying to rediscover how she can put herself back together. That's why totally. I think she was following Birdie through. Mm-hmm. Um, Gloria. So Gloria's having a hard time finding a man, possibly mm-hmm. because of her insecurities, finding out that her ex-husband is gay. She doesn't feel desirable. So this is another... Um, another layer of a different type of woman who's going through some different challenges. So her issue, because the other women didn't have problem finding men. I think Gloria, we find her, she's not really, I think she would entertain men, but she just didn't have, they weren't pursuing her in that way. Yeah, I think, you know, she probably had her head down. Obviously, she was an entrepreneur um, having her own salon, which I'm sure had a lot of dynamics that just kept her very busy. But then she also had a son who was just her life, you know, she put a lot into. um, And so she probably didn't have a lot of time for anything else. But I think you make a really good point, too, um, which, again, I really want to read this book now, because I think yeah, definitely the divorce or breakup of whatever with her ex-husband and her probably not being desirable probably affected her self-esteem, you know? Yeah. And um, and again, there might not be like too many options. And because let's not forget they were in Arizona, which I do want to talk about that, <laughs> that film and the way Forrest Whitaker directed it. I thought it was really beautiful, showed the landscape. We can talk about that in a second. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, she probably also seemed to me that she wasn't someone who was going to go out and pursue anyone either. And so I think being able to have girlfriends that she went out with, felt more comfortable, you know, probably gave her a little bit of juice, you know, to, to go and do things. But luckily, she had a neighbor that moved in. Right. So it was kind of like perfect for her personality that like this man fell out of the sky <laughs> and right. was across the street for her to create this relationship with versus having to go out and pursue someone herself she definitely came across as more of a homebody and especially with the love of cooking and all that like she made her home probably a comfort zone area Mm. cooking keeping things kind of you know like you said having her head down almost and then that brings me to the point of when Gregory Hines character did pay her attention she was giddy it was like oh like oh I don't know what to do with this (laughs) I don't know what to do with this man right but um and then lastly was Robin played by Leela Rashawn 
And with her, well, I think Robin was the youngest of the group. So she was still very much dating around, uh, meeting bad boys like Russell by Leon. And she was just, she was still focused on looks and not thinking about um, qualities, like substantial qualities in a partner. So when we meet her and she's still dealing with Russell, who comes around when he feels like it, stays when he feels like it, put his drawers in her drawer so he has something. Like just, you know, and she's just smitten, waiting for him to come over the next time and doesn't even know when he's coming over. So she is just, you know, open. (laughs) Poor Poor Robin. I know. I know. But, you know, there's this one point um, in the film where she really says like what her agenda is she says she just wants everything she wants a family she you know wants a house she wants babies she you know and i feel like her saying it out loud made it more real for her to know that like i'm not gonna stop till i get this but yet i'm gonna be on the quest to see how many other people could i build that with Mm-hmm. I think, I also think, though, she may have had some self-esteem issues. And as we find out later in the film, you know, she um, put all of her eggs kind of in, like, one basket and yeah. then ultimately got pregnant, had a, had an abortion. I think that really scarred her. Yeah. But then she still had the wherewithal to, you know, still try to make some choices to, to create the life she desired, right? Um, but it just kept to no avail, like, failing for her and yeah. she was she didn't have good luck making yeah, some bad choices with folks it was bad apple after bad apple with her for a while and maybe to your point maybe the baby or that experience pushed her to like i need to get serious about what i want and what i'm ex- like experiencing and accepting from the men that i choose so and the sad part is because she was so hell-bent Definitely. on looks the first go around with russell but then meeting Michael, Wendell Pierce's character, she like threw the looks out the window when he was willing to give her all that she was asking for. And then he turned around and be a scumbag too. So. Right. <laughs> Girl, could win. Well, you know too. what? I don't know that he was really a scumbag. Because the thing is, that's that's the Oh, he just embarrassed her in the worst. When you work with somebody and you yes. speak with Yes. Now it's obviously not cool to do that. Right. And I was actually very surprised because she said she fired him. So that means she was the boss and he was like the subordinate. You know right. what I mean? So like the fact that you over, again, I feel like it was kind of petty. Like, you're not going to embarrass me in a meeting. Okay, that's one thing. But like to and then fire him and then you see him in the club and he moves on. Right. You know, like you can't be mad. Yeah. That's my that's my opinion. But again, that's everything is so it. complex in this. So I feel yeah. like I may I may change my mind five years from now. I Listen, don't know. when she called him a fat fuck in the club, now that was <laughs> that was a hard F. Okay. <laughs> so um really I guess wrapping out waiting to exhale, I did not put this earlier in our breakdown or outline. But we didn't mention the soundtrack of Waiting to Exhale because the soundtrack to Waiting to Exhale is by far probably one of the best albums <laughs> ever made. So shout out to Mr. Babyface. Okay. Do you, have, do you have a favorite song from the Waiting to Exhale soundtrack? I love all of them. I oh, mean, no. I was thinking about this. Like, I'm 10 years old at that time. Sitting and... up in my room. That was when I was 10, it was sitting up in my room. 
I'm but the thing is, you knew the words to every other song. You talking about it hurts like hell. It's you know, um, count on me. Yes. Um, you not know, gonna cry. We were singing not, not gonna, gonna cry. cry. <laughs> like really, what were we singing about? Like we didn't know. We didn't know. But there's like there's so many. And again, I think that in the same way that it star studded in the film, the soundtrack itself was star studded. I mean, yeah. these were some talented singers, writers, um, composers with baby faces, supervision and curation. Like this was just, that's what makes this film just so classic. It's the story itself and then the accompaniment of the music. And then, you know, when you, even when you watch the film and you see the choices that they make for what songs go over what scenes, it's yes. just, it's, it's beautiful. Perfect. It's perfection. You could tell because I've seen some movies before when they make a soundtrack to it. And then you listen to the soundtrack and it has absolutely nothing to do with the movie. And this right. film, Babyface clearly was combing through the film and said, I'm going to write a song about this scene, you yes. know, and he wrote the song and tailored it to the film. So it just, it flowed perfectly. So he Definitely. has a good, I don't, yeah, he gets it. He gets soundtrack for a movie. Other people I think are just making music that they think will go well with a film as opposed to Definitely. tailoring it. Yeah. Well, the soundtrack really just helps amplify the story, which I think is really beautiful. Because to your point, when we watch TV nowadays, I think sometimes people make choices of the music to go with like the pacing of the scene mm -hmm. versus mm -hmm. this is like working in tandem to bring out the story or the drama or the sincerity of that particular moment. Um, and so, but like, for me, the, the soundtrack, it just has so many anthems that have just become mantras in the life and plight, plight of Black women. You know right. what I mean? So it's just, again, I was thinking about this, like, I can't believe my mother played this. But my <laughs> sisters and I, we were singing this at the top of our lungs, every song. And that's, the other thing is, there's not one song on there you want to skip. No, you let the whole thing You can listen to it play. straight through. You just let the whole thing play. You just turn on the Waiting to Exhale soundtrack and you just let it do what it does. Yeah. And then you said, like you said, you get transported back in time. Like that's sitting up in my room takes me back to me sitting up in my room, literally probably writing in a journal, like about my life one day, you know, yes. just trying to be I'm brandy. Thinking, I'm thinking of the song in the opening scene when Savannah's uh, driving through the desert. And it's just oh, like, right, with Sean Moore. It's, oh, Sean. yes. It's a vibe. It's a whole it's a vibe. <laughs> It, set the, it really set the stage for the whole film, that okay. opening scene and song. And okay, wait, but before we move on to Insecure, mm -hmm. let's talk about the Forrest Whitaker because I definitely thought, I know this is like his directorial debut, yes. but one of the things I loved, um, and when I was 10, I was living in Alabama at the time. And so, um, you know, you learn all the 50 states, but like, you don't really get to like see what they look like. So to see Arizona, right? Yeah. like. And the way that he, um, you know, just used like the landscape, the lighting, um, it's just so beautifully done, these shots that like, I was like, oh, I can't wait to go there one day. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know, it's it probably ignorant, but again, I was 10. There are black people there, like, you know, and they're thriving. I mean, Angela Bassett's house. What? What she was driving, what she was wearing, the fact that Savannah was like a producer. Um, and you know, it was like, I feel like I remember there was one scene with like the Phoenix Suns or something. She, they were on set for like one of the shows she was trying to put together or, or segment she was trying to produce. 
But you know, um, it seemed like they were living really beautiful, full lives. And so to see the spectrum of black women in a normal way in Arizona, like was just like mind blowing to me. And yes. I have been there now and it's beautiful. I'm, I'm actually, I want to go to the Grand Canyon. I'm thinking about planning a trip. But to your point of Arizona kind of almost being a character in the film because he, mm -hmm. you know, he showcased it so beautifully like that. And Spike Lee actually does that really well. Like with mm -hmm. Brooklyn being like a, it's almost like a character in the film. And he did it with Chirac in Chicago. Yep. Like they paint it so well that you get, you understand exactly where these people are and exactly what that looks like and the whole vibe of it. So yeah, yeah. kudos to Mr. Forrest Whitaker and showcasing black women and being a male director, like he knew, he just got it. You felt, you. it's almost like you can feel the the flow of that film and it's so smooth. Totally. It's smooth. And I think even the direction and, and even like the design, like in their homes, there was black art. When they're at church, mm -hmm. they're wearing the big hats, the loud suits, you know what I mean? Like it really just showed what black life and what the black experience looks like in another part of the country. Cause I think, I don't know if this is your experience, but I think of, you know, sisterhood films or, or, or films that are centered on like women's relationships. They're always in like big cities yeah. or they're in really small country towns, like the Mississippi yeah. Delta somewhere. So it was just really nice to see, you know, another area where again, women are prospering with or without men, you know what I mean, in their yeah. lives. So I thought that was just a really great choice, probably to Terry McMillan's credit as she wrote the book, but um, to have that setting and, and backdrop and to see, you know, again, the excellence that these women possessed um, as entrepreneurs, as career women. Because Robin worked in insurance and- They all had good jobs. I don't know what Bernie, what did Bernie do? What did Bernie do? I don't remember. Oh, she was just a housewife. She didn't, she didn't. Oh no, she worked at uh, at her husband's firm. Right, she was a secretary until yeah. he fired her, I guess, for the white woman who was the secretary. Or <laughs> it'd be, I, I don't know. It was just too much. Right. Too much. Okay, so what are the takeaways that we can, that we can take from this film? Besides the friendship and sisterhood, is there anything that we can take away from this film? Um, I think, you know, I think, you know, one of the things they always talk about is like, you know, these women were like holding their breath the whole film, you know, they just all wanted that moment to like exhale. And I think, you know, you just have to make some choices were all a good choice or a bad choice away from changing the trajectory of our lives. And so I just think we can take a lot away from them in terms of how they progress, that they all ended up choosing themselves like at the end mm -hmm. and um, and they ultimately chose happiness in some form and it was what was relevant or like what they were ready for. So the fact that like Robin at the end stands up to Leon and is just like, it's your baby. I don't need you. Right. We we're going to be okay. You. Right. You know, or the fact that Savannah stood up to her mother who was meddling in her life mm -hmm. um, and trying to make choices for her. She was like, I don't need you to do that anymore and I'm dumping him. Or even Bernie who ultimately got the outcome she wanted with the divorce. She got the house and a whole bunch of other stuff. Cause that was the other thing that tripped me out. I was like, wow, this woman's getting like a million dollars, $500,000 in bonds. She's getting, you know, it was just like, wow. You know, but again, she 
wanted a better life for her kids and she fought for it. And so ultimately her happiness and then Gloria, you know, letting her son go. And I think that's the thing, like sometimes you just gotta let go in okay. order to come on the other side of whatever it is that you're fearful of facing. And by her letting her son go, um, I think was able to bring her and Marvin closer, obviously, and then they end up choosing each other at the end. So I guess it's like, you know, let go, let God, and that's the theme of waiting to exhale. I don't know. Yes. And I, and I, honestly, my takeaway, I really, because I see all of them on that journey and that growth of self-love, self-care, self-worth, they're all mm -hmm. like, this is, it's the same story and it's the same journey, but they're all on different paths. So they're just experiencing it differently. But they all get to uh, the end road of like self-worth, self-care, and the self-love, you know? Well said. Yep. Yeah. So that concludes our segment on Waiting to Exhale. We're going to move right into my chic of the week, which is more of a modern take or counterpart to accompany the film that we discussed. And today we're discussing Insecure, HBO's Insecure, starring Lisa Ray and Yvonne Orji. Um, Okay, because you and I have had conversations about Insecure so many times. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, this will be the, the perfect counterpart because it is a modern spin on friendship and sisterhood. And I'm really surprised at how different it is. So I'll do some quick housekeeping. Um, Insecure stars creator Issa Rae debuted in, on HBO in 2016. Issa had a web series called The Awkward Black Girl. Um, and they pretty much created that idea into the series. They were nominated for four Emmys this year and closed out their season with a bang or a bump. <laughs> so, <laughs> what are some modern themes now of friendship and sisterhood and insecure? Well, if we're going to compare it to Waiting to Exhale, I think, you know, one of the things we harped on with Waiting to Exhale was just like that solidarity between the four of them. I think what's interesting about Insecure is that it really focuses on two women out of four. But mm -hmm. as the season progresses, we see, you know, mm -hmm. how that transformation of when a friendship is kind of broken, how it could also impact other people in your circle. So their, their fracture ended up also bringing in Tiffany and um, Kelly's character as well. But I think, um, you know, the, you know, the theme there's a lot of themes that are yeah. parallel but for insecure i think actually there, there's actually a lot of similarities mm -hmm. um again i think it's about choices mm -hmm. and and happiness and i think at the end of the day like everyone's just trying to do the best that they can and you just have to have. have some empathy um, with your friends because they may not be telling you everything and I think that's what we saw in this season is that um, their lack of not really communicating severed their relationship Molly and Issa so much more yeah and then I you know there just wasn't a lot of um, you know showing up for each other and I think that's a big part of friendship is um, restless reciprocity you mm -hmm. know um, and so I think they have such a beautiful friendship and relationship, but when one thing happened that they just could not both face and get over, it ended up just creating even more of a divide between the two of them and then their 
their friends or people outside their circle, you know? Um, Um, What do you think? um, Interesting, because now with waiting to exhale kind of in the backdrop, it's interesting to me because I feel like maybe that generation of women, I don't know if they just didn't have these issues that Molly and Issa are having or... Mm maybe they dealt with it differently because I feel like my mom, like I think of my mom and her friends. I don't know if there were many falling outs, but she still has the same friends since literally my godmother is, they've been friends since they were five years old. And they my godmother was just at our house like last month. So they've been friends for like, I'm like, how do you keep 30 year friendships? And maybe that's our generation now because I'm like, I don't know if that's, I mean, I, I think have, we just have so many other factors. I mean, you throw in social media, you throw in, you know. Um, so what has changed? With, I think what people view as success, like a successful friend, because this is, this is, I think, that my personal opinion on Molly and Issa is that Issa was on the come up. She was focused this season. She mm-hmm. was, you know, trying her best. She was she was creating again or designing the life that she wanted to live. And I feel like Molly in the past always discredited Issa. You not, yeah, you have an idea. Okay. Like it's not going to work, but I'll be there for you. Or, you know, I'll save you. Or, you know, you can tell me your problems, take my advice. If you don't take my advice, you're going to fail. I told you so, you know, Mm -hmm. and the fact that, you know, Issa was doing all these things like without Molly. I just feel like Molly is the successful friend. She is the lawyer. She lives in a downtown apartment. She drives an amazing car. Like Issa is a Lyft driver, you know, like there was just so many things. And I, so I think for them, that was the thing versus I feel like with our parents, I could be speaking out of turn, but they were all grinding, trying to figure it out. It just wasn't a like, you know, I got this, you got this. It, it was no competition. You know what I'm saying? So. And that's I, sad I, that I don't know because, okay. So I look at this Molly Issa breakdown. I see it so evenly though. Like, I don't think that Molly was completely wrong or that Issa was completely wrong. I see where I, both of them were screwing up as friends because I think the same, um, like Molly was looking at Issa through that lens of I've known you for so long. This is just who you're going to be, you know, and vice versa with Molly um, in her dating relationships and everything like that. Lisa, Issa was still holding her back from what she knows Molly to do and be as well. Like, okay, you're just going to, so you're just not going to call him. Well, that's why you never have, you know what I mean? Like she was always, yeah. she kept her in that, that lens as well. So they were still holding on to what they know about each other's past patterns and just not recognizing the growth in each other that Molly had been going to therapy and like really trying to make this work with the relationship with Daniel and she was growing and giving him you know more chances and you know checking herself and Issa was doing her thing and she you know she was crossing her t's and dotting her eyes for the event you know so I just think they weren't able to see the growth in each other and it got to that breaking point of like you just don't know me anymore and I think that's what, you know, they said, I can't remember the quote, but it was something along the lines of like, I think we've outgrown each other. And mm-hmm. I think that happens in friendships, but again, friendship or relationship, you have to figure out what you want to fight for. Is this person in your life going to cause more harm than good? And I think that they couldn't move past 
even, you know, getting together to discuss what could be the good or bad if they stayed friends. They just, I think they were both on a high horse and couldn't get down. And And it's just one of those things that's unfortunate because, you know, you want them to win together. They both have struggled and and been supportive of each other in so many realms of their life. In fact, you know, even like their families, um, Issa going over there for after Thanksgiving or with the pie, all that stuff. It's just, uh, it's just, it's kind of heartbreaking, but I think it's, it's a reality um, for, for a lot of women. And it's great that, you know, again, that, that the insecure team was so intentional because like, I felt like on the journey of this season, um, we were all kind of heartbroken that they weren't going to make it work, mm-hmm. you know? And like, you were going to hope, you were hoping that they were going to come at the end to a point where this all would be forgiven and they could end the season on a happy note. And it didn't end that way. And I think that was also really brilliant to take us into another season of how will this blossom? How will this turn out? Mm-hmm. Um, because ultimately like we don't see enough of black women friendships that uh, on screen and to see one depicted in, you know, in, in this style, um, you know, in this way as millennials who are just, again, trying to get their shit together. Mm-hmm. No one has all the answers is just, it's, it's great. And I hope that they get back together, but I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't. To your point of like, no one knows all the answers. I think that's the biggest thing is like, we have to humble ourselves to like, girl, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I got going on. What you got? Like we just, I'm just here to support you as opposed to telling you what to do as a friend or judging what you're doing. That that's a, that's a parallel right there because we were talking yeah. about it and waiting to excel. They didn't judge each other. They were just supportive. This is that counterpart. That modern ca- counterpart is like clearly Issa and Molly did a lot of judging, whether they said it or not, they were doing a lot of judging of each other. Um, and then the support was lacking both ways as well too. So they were missing those principles for the most part. Totally. I think, yeah, I think, no, you made a really good point though, in terms of the support and waiting to exhale. I think they understood maybe each other's triggers, um, and, and how to support each other versus maybe Molly and Issa don't, don't know what support looks like for each other because they've just maybe been there. They thought that was enough and they both were looking for, you know, I think they both had different um, ideas of what support looks like, but weren't able to communicate what it was. And obviously they're not mind readers. So it just was like, you know what, just forget it. If you can't, it, it's, it's fine. But it also brings me to a point where when you start to bring in Kelly and um, Tiffany, mm-hmm. particularly at the end with Tiffany and the whole postpartum moment, which again was such an awesome choice to weave that into their friendship. Like Molly and Issa had their own thing going on that they weren't even there or aware that Tiffany was going through that, um, nor was Kelly, because everyone was kind of so absorbed in their own thing, which again happens, which again, I think is to the point that starts to, um, you know, strain relationships when you aren't seeing people for where they're at, or you're not checking in on them enough to know what's happening. And I don't think that Molly and Issa were checking in with each other enough either. And they tried. I mean, you know, they, they met up. and mm-hmm. But again, they were both too afraid to talk. Remember that one scene where they were like at that diner? Yeah. And um, they were just shooting the shit. They weren't addressing anything. And I think, again, when you can't confront your friends, that's just what happens. It falls apart. You, 
you just, you rather just let it go than address it. And that's sad. Yeah. Then deal then to deal with the uncomfortability of the conversation. Yep. And to the point of like waiting to exhale, I think maybe it comes with maturity. Like as women, you just grow and you recognize like also how somebody receives love. So that goes to your point of like with relationships, whether it's romantic or friendships, people understanding how you want to be supported, but that's also communicating yeah. it as well. Um, okay. And then as far as insecure goes, we did, they left us on a few cliffhangers here. So Condoleezza, Cond- Condola, <laughs> Condola <laughs> um, is pregnant. Yes. What do, what's your predictions for next season? Um, okay, so first, actually, I have to say this one, because when you said Condoleezza, I thought it was hilarious. And I loved how Black Twitter just took over butchering this woman's name, which actually reminds me of the moment in a different world where the same thing happened to Kinu, which was Dwayne's girlfriend that Whitley um, was calling all kinds of names, like Konnichiwa, and like, you know, she just was butchering names. So that just really brought it back full circle for me. But um, so one of the things that I found, I my heart broke for Issa in particular with the whole condola pregnancy. Um, because like she said, you know, basically Lawrence is kind of like robbing her of that moment to be able to have a child together as a first. Um, because I think, you know, with them getting back together, uh, it gave everyone hope that, you know, maybe you're the one that got away could come back and you could, you know, blah, 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 soulmates. Okay. Yes, you're rolling yes, yes. I see it. I see it. Um, <laughs> I believe in it. I believe in it. But I do think that um, my prediction is that Lawrence is going to be a stand-up guy and be there for the baby. I don't think he'll be moving to San Francisco. I think he's going to try to figure out how to um, be there for Condola. Um, but I think it's just going to get messy. I think he's going to be there for Condola, but he's still going to try to create a relationship with Issa. I Mm -hmm. think Issa's probably going to get fed up and I don't think it will last. The other thing I would say too, this has nothing to do with sisterhood, but with Lawrence's character, I just have to say this because I just felt like for him, he was like finally getting his life together and changing and growing and was inspired to move on and out of LA and got what he ultimately like wanted and then for this to happen he's now faced with the choice uh, but i think the choice is he's going to show up for condola yeah um, and for that child absolutely i completely agree with everything you just said those are my predictions of course condola's gonna have this child well i don't know if she's gonna have the child but just the the journey of her being pregnant and what that's gonna demand from lawrence to be a part of it, that triangle with Condola East, that's gonna continue. Continue. It's for absolutely. sure. They gotta play with that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I agree with that. That's gonna be a shit show. So it's gonna be amazing. And as far as Issa and Molly go, I would love to see them have a real conversation. I don't know if we're gonna get that. I love the episode when Issa and Mo- when Issa and Lawrence met back up, like you said, to kind of rekindle to see what would happen. And they were really just getting some closure in that situation yeah. that was such a good beautiful so and it was visually i mean visually gorgeous but just the that's what we all want anyway like the women that we just 
<laughs> yeah. I just need to understand why you acted like a jerk. I just need to understand. <laughs> Definitely. Well, the vulnerability and the fact that like, you know, she wasn't afraid to ask questions. He wasn't afraid to ask questions. I think everyone watched the episode was just like waiting on each word coming out of their mouth. Like, wow, like this is closure for me. Like, <laughs> like whatever I had in my past, like, I wish I could have had that. It was so well done. The the pacing, the word choice, like all of that was such a beautiful scene. Right. Um, it validates all our experiences with jerks. It's like totally. even though Issa did the wrong in the in their relationship, but it's just like it's not that always was a beautiful you, part. Yeah. Yeah. It's not always you know you that think. like Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, I think no, you're you're making such a good point. It's not always what you think. It's not a, like you think you, it, you've combed through this story a million times or why it didn't work out with X, Y, and Z. And then when you sit in front of them and it's like, oh, you know, like, oh, you, you know, oh, now I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it gave us all the universal exhale. Hey, <laughs> hey love it. And love to, it. to tie in as we close this out, you touched a little bit on soulmates earlier. And I found the perfect quote from Sex in the City. Um, another four-star women um, friendship sisterhood kind of theme and Charlotte said this maybe we can be each other's soulmates and then we can let men be these great nice guys we just have fun with <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that that's actually my one of my favorite shows and I think I actually do believe in that too I your think girlfriend. your girlfriends are your soulmates because they're really the best reflection of you depending on who you choose um, you know, there's these different parts of you that they just help bring out and you're so connected in that way that I think sometimes, you know, with your, with your other person, um, they bring out something else inside of you, but they may not have all of the quirks and, you know, idiosyncrasies that women sometimes have these shared experiences with, I guess is yeah. what I'm saying. Um, but, you know, my other favorite quote, which I think goes hand in hand for waiting to exhale is, um, I think Carrie says it, but it's like the relationship you have with yourself is like, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like basically the most important, but if you can find um, someone that loves the you that you love, well, that's just fabulous, you know? Mm -hmm. And so again, when we talk about in waiting to exhale that these women have found themselves and have exhaled and know their self-worth, like they've ended up doing the work um, that they love themselves so much that if you find another person that loves you the way that you love you, well, there you go. You know, that's great. Yeah. One thing, last thing, I promise. What okay. does, because you're in a happy, healthy relationship, what does exhaling look like and vulnerability look like? What I, All I see is like the physical, but what does that actually look like in a relationship? Wow, that's a really good question. And I know my husband's going to listen to this. So. <laughs> because they keep saying, um, you know, waiting to exhale, waiting to exhale. But what does that look like? Um, I just exhaled myself. Um, <laughs> you know, I think, it's, I think it's just about what I talked about earlier is just like respect. I think you just ex exhale when you feel respected and you feel like that person supports you in ways that you don't even know that you need they already they're like proactively making sure that you're good that is like when you exhale you know that the problems that you have have become their problems and they want to support you in that like you exhale when you know you do something 
great, you know, and they want to celebrate you. Like that is an exhale. I think there's just so many small moments that lead to the big exhale, but ultimately, um, you know, you, you probably will be exhaling like a lot because hopefully you don't want to just exhale, exhale one time and right. it's just done, right? Like you want them to you keep making you exhale, <laughs> you know, the whole time by, by showing up for you and, and being there for you. It's not the best answer, but I think, I think a healthy relationship, you're constantly challenging yourself and showing up for each other. So you're exhaling a lot because that's what keeps it interesting. And again, you're feeling that comfortability to know that like this person has your back through whatever. Amen, sister. But I just thought of one more thing. Um, one last thing when you talked about, we talked about Arizona as a character. I do think two other parallels with waiting to exhale and um, insecure is of course LA as a character. The way that Issa shows off Los Angeles and particularly like Inglewood and Lamar Park, which are black spaces in LA and neighborhoods is brilliant. Um, and the other thing is the soundtrack this season I just thought was awesome. Raphael you know? Sadiq. Come oh on. my God. Yes. He was like what the music supervisor yes. and yes. every choice he made just truly encompass the moment, the scene, you know, um, and I just thought that was extremely well done. So I think, you know, if, I think Insecure does end up making, you know, playlists and stuff on like Spotify or Apple Music, but all of the just like ancillary content for Insecure this season has just been amazing between the music, um, you know, they were making different lists of all the restaurants that they showed across LA and these black mm -hmm. businesses. Um, that Finding LaToya, you know, they ended up making a whole like mini series about that you can watch. Like everything was just so well done. So same way that in Waiting to Exhale, we love that, that soundtrack, those mantras, those anthems. I think Insecure this season has gone down in history as also having just amazing music that they've showcased, you know, new and old artists in a way that um, was just really stellar. So absolutely. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. This was so yes. much fun. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Chic Critiques. I'm your host, Mercedes. You can find me on all platforms at Chic Critiques. That's C-H-I-C-C-R-I-T-I-Q-U-E-S. And we look forward to the engagement and all the feedback. Take care.